0: Hello, my name's David Yara. I'm a British photographer. Welcome to my podcast, In Focus. Over the last few years, I've travelled fairly relentlessly around the world, following my passion of photography. These are the stories behind the photographs. In this episode, I'm going to talk about a picture I took in 2019 of a pod of orcas that was taken in northern Norway called The Killer. Prior to taking The Killer, I've traveled around the world trying to take pictures of orcas and generally failed. I can't swim very well, so me trying to photograph under the water with a camera I think would be a huge problem. I think there's probably no animal in the world. There's no mammal in the world that's more misunderstood than the killer whale or the orca. We do understand that this is one of the most intelligent mammals in the world and still fairly misunderstood. The first time I really saw an orca on my TV screen was the film that came out just about a year and a half after Spielberg had done Jaws, called Orca. An innocent creature is destroyed by an act of human cruelty and the ultimate battle of man against nature begins where an orca's baby was killed and the orca came back to seek revenge on the tiny fishing village that had butchered the orca's infant. That was quite a terrifying film, and of course it made the orca, whilst doing what any parent would do, it made the orca out to be very dangerous. The reality is that the accidents that have happened with orcas around the world where people have been killed have almost exclusively been where the orca has been in captivity which is why there are fewer and fewer orcas in captivity. Now, there are probably four places in the world where you can photograph orcas. The first was brought to our attention by David Attenborough in Life on Earth, and it was the first thing that really caught me about how wonderful the BBC series was, and this was way back at university. As long as the sea lions stay well up the beach, you might think they would be safe. But the hungry whales are very daring. They found this beach in Patagonia in Argentina, where for two weeks a year, the killer whales would come in with such momentum that they would beach themselves to take the seals off the beach. And So many things have to be going right in terms of the the tide, the wind direction, the swell for the orcas to do that. But for two weeks, every spring, they come in to exactly the same beach in Peninsula Valdez in Argentina. And when I was probably 21, I promised myself that one day I'd go there. And I did. And sure enough, the orcas came in. I don't think my heart has ever beaten faster than being on this remote beach in Patagonia where the nearest village is 100 miles away. It's incredibly flat and there's nothing to see. And then there's a group of 10 photographers lying on the beach. And then you see this massive dorsal fin coming in at speed to try and take a seal off the beach. There's really only 20 or 30 foot in front of you. It is a big adrenaline rush. The problem is that even if you get the picture, what is it? It's reportage, it's a glimpse, it's a a moment in time of predation. And in all my experience, and I guess this is one area where I do have a lot of experience, predation sells newspapers. It is not fine art. It is an attack on another animal, which is what the Daily Mail want to put online, or the Sun, or the Sunday Times, or the New York Post or really any paper around the world, but you don't put it on your living room wall. It's just a bit too much. But Peninsula Valdez was an extraordinary experience for me and only heightened my fascination with the animal, the enormity, its intelligence, its beauty. So if you remove Argentina despite its majesty and the barren topography, the elemental topography of Patagonia, the next place you could go, and the BBC went there as well, is the back-end side of Antarctica. Around April, they begin to swim north, up to the Arctic. Many of them assemble off the coast of Alaska, and here they begin to feed. This is the Ross Sea area of Antarctica, where the killer whales hunt again for seals and they can come up through the sea. You've probably all seen the the shots and have a look around to see if there are any seals on the ice floe or in small icebergs. That is a bridge too far for most photographers to get to that side of Antarctica. That's a long way. I think you have to have huge budgets, but you will get the sightings. I've been to Antarctica, but I've never been that side and therefore never had that opportunity. The easiest place to photograph orcas is on the west coast of the Americas. So around Vancouver Sound, there's a lot of killer whales. And then as you go up past Canada and then rather bizarrely back into America again on the Alaskan coast, again, you will see a lot of orcas. Some will be resident orca pods and others will be in in transit. The great thing about doing that is you've got the mountains in the backdrop. The tough thing about both Vancouver and Alaska is that the regulation tends to be very, very tight. So getting close to the orcas is not easy. If you can get an orca breaching flying through the air with a glacier in the background, that's the kind of orca shot. If you Google orca breaching with glacier in the background, you do see a few. I think a couple are probably photoshopped in, but it's a one in a million cigar shot. So where else do you go? You can go to Iceland, I think that's very tough. So probably the most famed destination to photograph orcas in their habitat, whether they be migrating whales or whether they be resident pods, is uh, right at the top of Norway. And from about the beginning of November through to the second week of December, that's prime orca season. You've got two problems, though. You're at the top of the world. So the very time that the Orcas are coming to say hello is a time when it gets light at nine o'clock and gets dark at two o'clock. The first time we went up there, it was hilarious. And I totally blame my colleague Alex because he said, I think we should go up there. And he hadn't done his homework. And we arrived there and it got light at 20 to 11 and it got dark at half past 11 and we're in the freezing cold in these boats in a blizzard with about 50 minutes of light. And when I mean light, I'm talking about the most marginal light you can imagine. I can paint the picture of breakfast at the only hotel to stay at in the last village in the world, right at the top of Europe. You go down to breakfast and you've got 40 people that are about to go out in the ocean. You always know who the photographer is because it's the photographer that's looking out the window at the weather. The other 39 people, they don't care about the weather because they're going into the sea. They don't care about the light, by and large. I think that they'd prefer a sunny day, but it's the photographer that's looking out the window. It is a commitment of time. You've basically got a four-week window of opportunity. There's nothing else to do up there other than go and say hello to orcas. It's not as if when you come in, hopefully in better condition than one day when I came in, and it's 2.30 in the afternoon, what are you gonna do there? What are you gonna do after that? It's not as if you can go and look at the tourist sites. You just gotta warm up, get by a fire, have a beer, and then wait till nine o'clock the following morning. It is not a place for a romantic holiday, I don't think. To get that picture, a lot of things have to go right. Firstly, you've got to get there. Secondly, you've got to find the whales. It's not like the whales are sending text messages as to where they are, and this is a big old ocean, but the fishing fleets will always tell you. If the fishermen are out, that means that the herring are there, and if the herring are there, the whales will be there. I do know that if you're lucky, the whales can be 20 minutes from there on a little boat, and that's not bad. But you then got to have a very skilled skipper to get your boat in the right position. When the orcas find the herring, they do this extraordinary manoeuvre whereby they get together as a group, like almost like a, a Scottish country dance, like the eight some reel, and they'll form a circle to make sure the herring can't escape. And then one by one, they take turns to dive in and eat as many herring as they want. So if you get them in that moment in time when they're gorging on the fish. They don't give a damn about you, and they'll just stay in one place. Whereas if they're moving, keeping up with an orca that's moving is tough. Because if your boat's going 12 knots, 15 knots, the orca's going to be swimming faster than the boat. I think the killer shot for me of an orca, given that I'm not going to be going underwater, and given the full-on breaching is rare, And when an orca breaches, why on earth would your camera be positioned on that little patch of water? No one knows what lies beneath, so why should your camera be focused on that point? I think to get an orca bobbing with you at the surface level of the water, with the white of Siberia behind, it's got to be full-on, head-on, symmetrical to you. That is the money shot. i photographed orcas in Norway three times in the last 10 years. The thing about Norway is that the Norwegians, A, they do things very well. Secondly, they're actually quite liberal. Norway is the place where people that want to swim with an orca can go and swim with an orca. If on your bucket list is swimming with orcas, there's really nowhere else you're gonna go because they're not gonna allow you to do it in Alaska. You're certainly not gonna go to Antarctica. And if you tried it in Patagonia, they might think you're a seal, in which case you might be in a bit of trouble. But uh, the one place to go is Northern Norway. The orcas come in, when the herring come in, And the herring come in at different junctions of those fjords about two hours north of the northern city of Tromsø. Tromsø is the most northerly city in the world. And it's where a lot of people go and try and photograph the northern lights. If you did a questionnaire at Tromsø Airport as to why have you arrived at Tromsø Airport, number one would be to see the northern lights. Number two might be to fish in the summer. Number three might be to go and see Father Christmas in Lapland in the winter. And number four would be to swim with orcas. So quite an unusual four choices as to why you've gone to a city. The first thing in the photograph must be sharp, and it must grab your attention. You cannot have the first thing you see in the photograph being out of focus. That's a tension point. So we work backwards from there and say, well, if the first thing that we're going to see the thing closest to the camera. It better be bloody good. You know, I use all these silly analogies, but if you arrive at a wedding and you go to the reception after the church service and you're dying for a drink, and the first drink you have is a sort of horrible, semi-cold glass of white wine that's 20 yards away from you, you think, well, this is gonna be a shit wedding. Whereas if you go to the wedding and you go into the reception, and within one yard, there's this lady serving you a espresso martini from a frosty glass. And that happens within two feet of you arriving at the reception. You go, this is going to be a cracking wedding. And I think it's the same with a photograph. The first thing you must see has got to be powerful. It's got to be your trump card. It can't be the fourth thing you see. The problem with photographing a big sea-going mammal like an orca from a boat is it's everything that I don't stand for because you've got a position of raised elevation. In Africa, I shoot from the ground level, so it's entirely consistent with that, that if I'm up in Norway in the ocean, i try and photograph from the ocean level with the waves crashing into you. I worked with some guys who are very smart, and in many ways, they saved my life. They allowed me to go out on on a little boat. It wasn't even a boat, it was a kind of raft where I would be on the top of the ocean. So really, I was photographing about two foot or one and a half foot above the water. When you're doing that in minus 20 in Siberia, effectively, in November, it's kind of full on. And then you've got these big fish around. You take comfort from the fact there's a lot of people jumping in to swim with them. So you know that the fish aren't an issue. I uh, tried to get back into the boat because I was so cold and I'd just taken a picture. And if you can imagine my head is facing the ocean and my feet are facing the boat. So at some point I had to swivel to get my head to face the boat. And when I put my knees down on the raft, the raft flipped, it just basically flipped over. So I'm thrown into the ocean with the raft on top of me and I didn't have a wetsuit on and it all happened very very quickly it happened in 30 40 seconds that the initial thing happened in within three or four seconds and i just couldn't believe it i just couldn't believe that with two cameras strapped around my neck as well that i was in the water i had a life jacket on and i had a rope and i had two very very strong Norwegians who are ex-special forces helping me. And um, they dragged me in. And I, w- I was in a state of a bit of shock, but <laughs> they got me on board. The first thing I wanted to check was whether my XQD card in my Nikon had survived because I had taken a picture. It was about one minute after this enormous male orca had gone right beside me. Then I could get the mountains in the background and whatever and get the effect, the kind of layered narrative I was looking for. Bizarrely, the flashcard worked, but the cameras were history. Being underwater for 45 seconds in that sea, you're, you're lucky if they're gonna survive that. We went back straight away because they're worried about me getting hypothermia. It's a funny thing, hypothermia, because it doesn't necessarily hit you straight away and I went back to the hotel, and then it hit me. It's weird, you go through periods of shaking uncontrollably, and then sweating uncontrollably as well. So I went to the hospital, and a tall tip for anyone is, if you ever have to get naked in front of two rather attractive Siberian nurses, try not to have been in the Siberian ocean for (laughs) two minutes in the previous hour. Because I think any private parts that I had were were, actually inverted. They looked at me slightly concerned. But the more important thing was that uh, I survived to tell the tale. And I'm back to my normal self, (laughs) I (laughs) hope now. But it was was quite a humiliating experience, but it wasn't really the point. I do want to make one point on this. Should anyone in Norway listen to this, that uh, what happened was entirely my fault. I didn't listen to the highly qualified guides that were looking after me, and if it hadn't been for their promptness, I might not have been here. When you're photographing killer whales, your trump card is the dorsal fin, unless the killer whale bobs right in front of you, kind of comes and says hello. I would love to get that picture. I think that, that would be a cracking picture if you're at the ocean surface and a whale... Comes up like they're standing on the ocean floor and just waves at you. Yeah, that's a cigar shop, but I haven't got that yet. That's not easy to get. But the second best would be an enormous fin coming right past you with the mountains of Siberia in the background. And that's what we got. You're always allowed to say, as a photographer, that your work's going to get better. And that is true, whatever the subject matter. If I was to turn around and say there's no point going back to take pictures of elephants because I've I've had the biggest elephant in the world charging at me, well that's a little bit defeatist. They could do something more. Maybe two of them together could charge at you. Who knows? Maybe the lighting might be better. Maybe there'd be more dust kicked up. Maybe the ears will might be flapping a little bit more. Maybe Kilimanjaro might be erupting in the background rather than just being fairly docile. Who knows what could be in the backdrop? So I never have a default position of saying that box is ticked. But if I was to be critical of our work, my work, and I am, I am my own biggest critic, there will be a lot of subjects where I feel that we've done a fairly good job. Elephants, lions, hippos, polar bears, tigers, orangutans, gorillas. We've got so many bad pictures of all those animals, but we've got a couple of big cigar shots. I don't think I've got a cigar orca shot. But I think what we did with the Shot the Killers is we got ourselves in a position where we're in the game. I think we're in the game with that shot. But I'm committed to doing better. You've got to believe that one day you'll get a money shot. But you do know that the two variables that are going to determine whether you get it is the constancy in your commitment and the belief that You have to put in the hours. I think it's inherent within my nature that if you haven't got a shot, you always want to try and get it. Why not? And try and do better next time. So that's it for this episode of my podcast. My name's David Yarrow. If you haven't already subscribed to the In Focus podcast, please do. And please also leave any reviews that you'd like to make. If you want to see any of the photographs that we've been talking about, do look online at David Yarrow Photography. This is a co-production between the team at David Yarrow Photography, led by Alex Ames, and Message Heard, produced by Jake Warren and Sandra Ferrari, with mixing, editing, and original theme music by Matt Huxley. Thank you again for listening, and until next time.